verses 3 and 4 of the Lord is my shepherd. Just waiting for our interpreter to jump into spot. So, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In Proverbs 12 and 28, in the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. We live in a world with diverse topography, flora and fauna, and without a map or a good sense of direction, we can find ourselves hopelessly and utterly lost. In our wanderings, landmarks can become confusing and we end up going nowhere or in circles with no end in sight. I think about the times that I'm driving and I suddenly realize that I'm on autopilot and even though I've driven that road a hundred times before, all of a sudden nothing looks familiar so I don't know if my destination is up ahead or behind me. And frankly, I have a horrible sense of direction. And before the days of GPS, I would often decide I must have gone too far and I would turn around, only to find later that I was very close and now I was very far away. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus says, Broad is the road and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And also in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So when David says in the psalm that he leads me, those words are so calming to me. I'm not left on my own like a candidate for sergeant doing land navigation skills tests. And I'm not struggling to remember trail signs from my scouting days. I have a shepherd right beside me all the way, leading, calling, and drawing me ever closer to him and his way. Following our shepherd makes it possible for us to find the narrow road and the small gate. Even better, it's not a forced march. But this journey has purpose and has been carefully laid out for me. If I'm willing to follow him, to walk alongside, I won't be left behind or dragged kicking and screaming or pushed farther than I can cope in a day's time. If it takes all day to get to a stopping point, a respite, even if it gets dark and scary, I am not alone. He is with me. And in Job 12, 24 through 25, God said he deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. So think about this. We're on the path of righteousness following the shepherd. But then we notice something in the other direction. We can't quite make it out, so we keep walking forward. But our head is now spinning, imagining all the good that awaits us just over there. 
sometimes the path brushes so close to the distraction, we really wouldn't be off the path. Sheep follow their head. Sheep always look the direction they want to go before they change or move direction. If you watch them closely, you can see what they're thinking, ready to veer off course. First, their ears will begin to twitch. Watch the lead sheep closely. Once the thought is forming in their minds, they turn their heads. After one sheep takes a look, it's not long before the others in the group are also looking that direction, and away they go. The draw is what sheep herding experts call the direction that the sheep want. Whoops, I think I went too far. There. Had I shown you this already? Okay, sorry. Okay, well the draw is what sheep herding experts call the direction that the sheep want to t or tend to go. You can block or cover the draw so they'll keep moving but they will strain their necks looking for an opportunity to go their own way toward the draw. The stronger the draw, the faster they will veer off. Satan knows you can get a sheep to go anywhere if you can just get them to look the direction you want them to go. Other sheep create a strong draw for the sheep looking for opportunity. Everyone loves a party. No one wants to be left out. Sheep like us are very social creatures. They make close friends with others in the flock. They only isolate themselves from the flock if they are sick. I'm sure that's why the shepherd told us to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Consequently, if I need to separate or quarantine a sheep, I always include a buddy. The only thing stronger than other sheep is food or water if they're thirsty. A good shepherd will use patience and time to encourage them to look his way when they're looking around for other options. Sometimes he'll send members of the flock to call you back or call you home. A few weeks ago, I had to do just that. I was ranch sitting, and I had the resident dog help me bring the sheep up to the barnyard. As I closed the gate, I noticed there was a ewe still standing in the pasture. She was a young ewe, and she didn't know me, so she kept wandering farther and farther back. It was cold. It was freezing, and I didn't want to play hide-and-seek. So I got the flock back out of the barnyard and sent them down into the pasture, and I left that flock of sheep pretty close to her in her sight line and pulled back and waited. She waited, too, and then, to my surprise, she went further back toward the woodland. The resident dog decided we should just leave her there and went up to the house. <clears throat> well, I worked my way slowly back behind her, at which point the draw of the flock became strong and she raced out to join them. Then I was able to slowly lead everyone back up the hill into the barnyard. Knowing that God referred to us as sheep, reminds me of all the similarities between us and them. The draw in particular is convicting. Knowing that we will be drawn to something, God inspired the writers of the Bible to use that same concept, particularly in John 12, 32, where Jesus states, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself.
The Greek word in John 12:32, helkuo, means to drag or draw or to haul before a magistrate or out of a place. But it also means to induce to come. I believe that's what our shepherd does with us. And there's a related Greek word, hahire, means to take for oneself. God's will wants our overriding draw to be the good shepherd himself. So when Zephaniah 3.2 says, she, Jerusalem, does not draw near, the Hebrew word harab means to come near, to approach. The basic concept is a close spatial proximity of the subject and object, as in Deuteronomy 4.11. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. <clears throat> Our strongest desire should be like the heavy sheep that we talked about last year. Remember, no matter what, those sheep made every effort to stay with the shepherd regardless of the circumstances. That draw is all-encompassing, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Our shepherd asked that of us only after he took his, our place on the cross and paid for our sins. Woolly sheep are sometimes blinded by the growth of wool over their eyes, and they truly cannot see, or at the very least, their vision is severely obstructed. These sheep have wool growing all around their eyes like a raccoon, and if it is not sheared or clipped or shaved, the wool can end up covering the eyes sometimes completely. It also makes it difficult for them to feed in open grazing during the winter, especially if the snow freezes on the wool, making the blindness more pronounced. To keep the sheep in good physical condition, their faces should be sheared in late fall prior to the first snow before their vision is hampered. Now, you should know that sheep hate to be sheared. Wool blindness is caused by excess wool growing or hanging over the eyes. This sheep reminds me of my mother telling me to get my hair out of my face so I can see. I never really appreciated the deeper meaning behind that until now. A wool-blind sheep is only able to see straight in front of her through the woolly covering. In that case, moving them is much more difficult especially if it's the lead sheep. I actually saw this in a sheepdog trial in Fredericksburg. I'm amazed that they could see anything at all. I don't know how. The strange thing is that the sheep seem to be fine with it. They move freely across and around the pasture as if they could see clearly. It's a scary thought to move through life blinded without seeking help to remove the obstruction to our vision. It's worse if you're the lead sheep because those lower in the budding order will blindly follow the leader anywhere. There are none as blind as those that will not see. And in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, Jesus says, Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye 
when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I've always had a visual with that verse that I'm whacking my sister in the head with a two before while I'm reaching to try to help her out. <clears throat> and then in Isaiah 42 and 16, God says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. That's our God. He's going to turn on the light for us, and he's going to make the way for us. We just have to follow. And in Matthew 15 and 14, if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. In our case, the word removes the blinders and opens our eyes to see an illuminated pathway. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, sheep don't like the dark either. If they can't see, just a moment. Excuse me. If they can't see, they are reluctant to move forward because they fear danger in the dark. Sheep depend greatly on their vision. In fact, the placement and structure of their eyes provides a wider field of vision, 191 to 306 degrees. They can scan their surroundings with only a slight movement of the head. But their depth perception, the 3D, is poor, especially if they are moving. So they'll stop to examine something more closely. They have difficulty picking out small details, like a partially open gate. They tend to avoid shadows and sharp contrast between light and dark. They're reluctant to go where they cannot see. Generally speaking, wolves, coyotes, and other predators come out under cover of darkness. So avoiding darkness and shadows is a safety-conscious decision. It is ironic that the sheep naturally afraid of entering dark barns, dark trailers, or shadowy brush will walk around in the dark, as it were, with wool over their eyes, and think nothing of it. Incidentally, one way that shepherds can deter predators, especially for a small flock, is to leave a light on for them. They congregate near the light, and the predator is reluctant to enter the light. We know that darkness is against us, and therefore we prefer the light as much as the sheep do. There is a path laid out for me in his will. In Jeremiah 6, 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Don't just ask, walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So if you walk in it, you get the reward. I love that. God is so awesome. In Proverbs 4, 11 through 14, I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. 
do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. And in verses, Proverbs 4, verses 18 through 19, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And in Proverbs 4, 25 through 27, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Follow the Lord, our shepherd, not the lead sheep. And in Proverbs 27, 12, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Notice the sheep at the back of this picture. See how she's starting to turn her head? Something caught her eye, and she's following the shepherd. We have to be careful. <clears throat> okay, I know I shared this story before, but it's worth repeating. Who are you following? This is an extreme example. On Friday, July 8, 2005, 450 sheep leapt to their deaths in a Turkish village of Jeevas. The chain reaction started when one sheep went over the cliff, enticing nearly 1,500 others to follow. The sheep plunged to their death after one of the sheep tried to cross a 15-meter deep ravine and the rest of the flock followed. According to the Aksam newspaper, by the time the 450 had died, the pile of sheep carcasses at the bottom was enough to cushion the fall of the other 1,050. Now, I think this illustration alone justifies the parental use of the phrase, if all your friends jump off the cliff, will you jump too? But before you head down the sea, they are stupid. Think about the Jim Jones incident and the Jonestown suicide of 909 people, a third of which were children. There is a very real danger of us following the wrong leader with false prophets. Our shepherd always has a plan to provide the best for us. He knows exactly what we need and where to lead us. Jesus says his sheep will follow him. They do not blindly follow a leader anywhere they go. We must make absolutely sure that we are following our shepherd, God the Son, who already gave his life for our souls. And in Numbers 14, 8 through 9, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And in Proverbs 5.21, For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, 
and he examines all his tasks. In Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In Ezekiel 34, 27 through 31, God says the people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are people. And I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. The Amplified Version uses flock instead of sheep. There will be trouble. There will be danger. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And in Psalm 46, 1 to 3, and 10 to 11, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Amplified Version says he's our stronghold. Now, life is not all mountaintops. When Kip and I first came to MacArthur Park back in 1982, shortly after that, the congregation started having prime time. It was a regularly scheduled event at Mac every Monday night. There would be a meal, and then folks would go out on visitation or Bible study. They would do World Bible School or send cards to visitors or visit the sick, and child care was provided. It was great. Bible studies could either be held at a person's home, or they could join us for the meal and then study in a classroom afterwards. Kip and I were doing a Bible study with a couple seeking God and his church. We had done all the Jewel Miller series, and they were convinced they needed to be baptized, but something was holding them back. One of the elders, Ben Clements, agreed to sit in with us and answer any questions. So Ben started telling them about all of the trouble that they will face as Christians, that being baptized into the Lord didn't mean an end to problems and heartache. And I remember thinking, what are you doing? They're never going to be baptized now. Then he told them the difference is that when you have trouble and heartache as a Christian, you also have God to comfort you, to strengthen you, to bring you inner peace and joy, and to get through whatever you were facing. Well, that was all it took. They were baptized into Christ that night. Praise the Lord. 
Growing up in the church, I didn't see how that would convince anyone. But after all of the life and trouble I have now seen, it's quite a comforting thought to know he's always faithful to us, no matter what. I don't know how people get through this world without God. Sheep don't worry like we do. They do, however, get stressed if they're alone or if there's not enough food or if there's a predator among them. And most of the time, sheep are quite noisy when there's a predator present, which will bring the shepherd running. Foiling is a response to danger that can create serious consequences, even death. If there's a predator about, they won't all stand still and wait. It is clear to the sheep that without the shepherd present, the safest place to be is in the middle of the flock. Now, of course, everyone can't fit in the middle, but they're all going to try anyway. So they'll move in tight and close together. And then whether it's jumping on top of others or ducking down between all the others, with it's one goal in mind. Don't eat me or get me. Get the other sheep, the one on the fringe. Oops. Okay, sorry. Let me show you this. I got excited and didn't change the slide. But as you can see in those circles, one sheep is jumping up on top. There's another one that is going down underneath. You can see in that top picture how they're starting to just squeeze together like an accordion. This other picture where this one sheep is ducking down, she's going to try to get under everybody. And this one on the top, it's not what it looks like. If you'll see, there's a sheep's head over there. So he's jumping on top. <laughs> okay. Boiling is pure panic behavior. The sheep act like it's every sheep for herself. As they bunch closer together to move to the middle, away from the predator, those jumping on top can fracture and crush bones between those packing tight. Those crawling underneath can be trampled or suffocate. There are stories of more sheep in flocks dying from the boiling behavior than from the attack of a wolf or coyote. There's a southeastern Idaho ranch that lost 176 sheep as the animals ran in fear from two wolves that chased through the herd of about 2,400 animals south of Victor. The sheep herders for the Sideway Sheep Company heard the wolves at about 1 a.m. Saturday. But they didn't know the extent of the damage until they saw the sheep piled up on each other at daybreak. J.C. Sideway of Carrington says almost all of the sheep died from asphyxiation. About 10 died of bite wounds and one was partially consumed. That means only 10 were killed by the wolves themselves. The other 166 died of suffocation because they boiled into a pile. Probably the majority of those crawled under. And 2,400, you can see how 176 could get under. So... It sounds impossible until you think about the fact that crowds of people have burned in fires because some are blocking the door and no one can get out. If instead they call for the shepherd and wait for him, help will come and the attacker will be destroyed. Don't be afraid. Look to the shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
In Psalm 27, 1 to 3, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. And in Psalm 27, 5 and 14, For in the day of trouble, he will keep us safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high up on a rock. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And in Psalm 18, 1 to 2, David says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my place of safety. He is my God, the rock I run to for protection. He is my shield. By his power, I am saved. He is my hiding place, high in the hills. One day, I was in Bastrop for a sheep herding lesson with the dog. And the trainer is an expert in sheep herding, both as a shepherd herself and training dogs to herd sheep. Her place is a 20-acre farm, of which their big pasture comprises about 12 acres of cleared pasture land with a wooded area along the back next to the tank and the creek bed. And that particular day, we were all working and training in the smaller pastures at the top of the property. And the shepherd always left the sheep that we were not using grazed while we worked. The sheep had been grazing a while and had spread out across the flat plain. I noticed that the sheep all started flocking together. Something was different because usually if they've decided it's time for water, they start moseying down and there might be some stragglers. But this was different. They moved with purpose as if a dog had been sent to herd them up the hill. Well, I looked around and all of the dogs were up there with us. So I looked down to the sheep again and noticed they were all standing still watching something beyond them. Then I saw it. A coyote had been circling them and now was moving toward them. I yelled at the shepherd. She took one look and started running as fast as she could down the hill, yelling at the coyote while waving this slapping, this snapper stick, which is like an extended riding prop, slapping it in the air, slapping it on the ground, running all the way, yelling. As we watched, the sheep turned their heads away from the coyote and looked at the shepherd. They stood still together, but they didn't take their eyes off the shepherd. And the coyote started backing away as she started down the hill and ran to the edge of the wooded area. The shepherd put herself between the sheep and the coyote, and then she whistled for her dog to move the sheep up to the barnyard. She was so loud and so menacing looking that with that snapper waving and slapping that the coyote ran into the woods. Once the sheep were safely up at the barnyard, she started up the hill. As she did, we heard coyote pups greeting their mother in the wooded area along the neighbor's fence line. We were all stunned and amazed by the reaction of the sheep. Here was a snarling, circling coyote in broad daylight. I'm sure to the sheep it looked like a pack of wolves. The amazing thing was that once the sheep heard the shepherd, they changed their focus. Listen, ladies. They changed their focus from the snarling coyote 
to the shepherd. They, they didn't run or look back at the coyote. They just watched the shepherd coming to fight the predator for them. As he moved past them, they continued to watch. However, when the herding dog got close, they all responded as a group. It's also important to note that even with her best dog, sometimes there's a sheep that's like, I'm not ready to go in yet, I'll just go my way. Not today. Everybody went up. As I said before, <clears throat> let's wait a minute, sorry. That is the picture that David is painting for us. In the shadow of death, they were not afraid. They knew their shepherd was present. And they could trust her to keep them safe. As I've said before, sheep that are frightened will boil. Everyone trying to get into the middle of the flock. In this case, they did not boil. They did not self-destruct. But they set their eyes on the shepherd, watching and waiting. That's how we're supposed to react in the contrast to those without a shepherd or with a bad shepherd. Wait a minute, I went too far. The coyote hung around her place in her neighbor's farms for days on end. She alerted her neighbors with livestock. One on one side where the coyote and her pups had been herd had goats, another chickens, and still another cattle. A few days after that happened, I was back out there for a lesson. And the goats, which normally are too busy foraging to be seen, were all bunched up in a corner next to her property. The shepherd noticed them, and she went down with her gun to check it out. A few yards from where the goats were standing was a dead goat, a recent kill. The sad fact is that those goats were picked off one by one. They didn't have a good shepherd protecting them. We are in the same position as those sheep that day. Satan is prowling, circling, doing his worst to create panic, to cause us to lose faith in our shepherd and to try to force us to fight him alone. But we, like those sheep, have a shepherd we trust. We know he is present. He is vigilant. He is our protector. We, like those sheep, need to fix our eyes on our shepherd, no matter what we are facing. Look at the looking at the danger just breeds panic and mob mentality like those in a fire that are trampled and burned, boiling at the exit. Instead, we need to wait on the Lord. He will defend us, and he will fight the battle for us. Yet he does expect us to don our armor, described in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. And now it's time to talk about those first three questions on the back of your listening guide. You have 10 minutes. rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The armor of God is custom made. It's a perfect fit, not a one-size-fits-all. God's armor is not too small and it's not too big, like Saul's armor on young David. It's tailor-made, a perfect fit. In my case, it's petite. Sometimes he will call for action on our part, but if we are his, we have our armor. And in Psalm 135 through 7, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. In Exodus 14, 13, as Moses told the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. We know the end of that story. God did indeed deliver them, and those Egyptians were destroyed and drowned. We know the same God and his power that delivered them is available to his people today. In 2 Chronicles 20 and 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Once dressed for battle, we are to stand, to stand firm, to watch, and to wait. Sheep will generally tend to stand and wait on you to open a gate, to break the ice off the water trough, to feed them, to let them into the shelter from the storm, or just because they're curious about what the shepherd is doing. They know the shepherd will take care of their needs. Maybe not as fast as they would, especially at feeding time, so they'll start a chorus of bleating that continues until their needs are met. But no matter the season, they must wait on the shepherd, sometimes because they got themselves into trouble, caught in a fence, stuck in the mire. Other times they're under examination because of injury or disease. During the drought, they may be hungry for green grass and forage, but they have to rely on the shepherd to bring hay and grain. No matter the circumstance, the shepherd will come and provide for their needs, but in his time. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord 
is not in vain. Knowing the shepherd is present and vigilant, the ultimate provider, we can stand firm. As God told Joshua when he took over leadership of the Israelites in Joshua 1.5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never forsake you or leave you. We can claim this promise because it was given to us again in the New Testament in Hebrews. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? In Psalm 28, 8 and 9, the Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. And in Psalm 118, 6 and 7, and 13 and 14, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And in Psalm 112, 6 through 8, surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news because his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. And in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. And in Psalm 72, 12 to 14, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak, and the needy, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod means protection and discipline. In Bible times, the shepherds would use the rod like a baseball bat to beat the stuffing out of a predator that's coming to prey on his sheep. But they wouldn't use it as you might think. They became quite adept at throwing it with careful aim and precision, and it would stop the predator in its tracks. Or it would remind a wandering sheep that they need to come back to the flock. In the case of a wandering sheep, it would fall just beyond where the sheep was to send it scurrying back to the flock. The rod would also be used to spread back the wool to examine the sheep for skin disease, parasites, and to check the overall health of the animal. This process requires each and every sheep to be individually inspected. Wool can certainly hide a multitude of sins, and the only way to ensure sheep are healthy is to take a good look beneath the surface of the wool. When, a disease, when disease or a lesion is found, the shepherd will treat it to restore good health. The sheep really hate being run through the chute to check them or to treat them. They balk, they turn around, and they block the route for others to come forward. 
<clears throat> Sometimes they just plain refuse to cooperate. It takes time and effort and muscle to work them through. I'm always exhausted afterwards, but it's well worth the effort to keep them healthy. No one likes to be examined. It makes us feel vulnerable and insecure. And even though we know that our shepherd can see all the way down into our souls, we balk at being examined and tested. In self-reflection, I have to admit, the bliss of ignorance sometimes seems preferable to revealing sin and disease that is affecting my heart and my spiritual well-being. There's effort in repentance. But once clean, the healing can begin, and I will be so much better for it. In Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to who we must give account. David knew exactly how it felt to be examined and to be sick with sin. I imagine thoughts of his past sins were in his mind as he wrote the words, Your rod and your staff comfort me. The Bible provides the rod of discipline as we compare our lives to the teachings within. We're convicted by the words, and the Holy Spirit guides us as a staff to draw us near, to submit to examination, and to seek forgiveness, allowing us to continue the journey all the better for it. In Psalm 139, 24, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And in Psalm 95, 6 through 9, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are his people the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Mirabah, as you did that the day at Massa in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had, not, excuse me, though they had seen what I did. I recently had a chance to talk about sheep and shepherd with Ms. Berta's class, the three- and four-year-old class on a Wednesday night. And I was telling them about how my sheep knew my voice and would come to me. And I would call them by name. And I told them that Jesus does with us, that's what Jesus does with us. He calls us by name. And that we need to listen for his voice. And immediately a little girl, either Kinsley Hutto or Reagan Geitweiss, both of them had a lot to say that night, so it was one of those... <laughs> And then she spoke up and said, but I don't hear his voice. I love that. I told her, your, your ears of your heart and soul just haven't developed yet, but they will. But she was genuinely concerned that she was missing it. Is it any wonder that our shepherd wants us to be like a little child, eager to have a relationship with him? That is the best flock ever, isn't it? Isn't it cute? All those little lambs in the third and four-year-old class? Okay. The shepherd's staff is a multi-purpose instrument like the rod. The staff in Bible times was taller than the shepherd. 
and that enabled him to reach further to get or rescue a lost sheep. The crook or the bend of the staff could be used to grab a sheep by the neck or the leg, depending on how close the shepherd was and for what purpose the sheep was being singled out. With the length, it could be used by the shepherd to pull the sheep in close and create a boundary, as it were, so the flock would stay together. The Holy Spirit becomes the staff in our lives today, drawing us close, wielding the sword of the Spirit to convict us and encourage us, a change in direction for the better. His Spirit guides us in our daily walk, reminding us of His Word and helping us to put into practice the things that we need to develop. The guidance and teaching is much more effective if we, like David, have hidden His Word in our hearts. I find when I'm memorizing passages and reciting them daily, it's easier for me to feel close to my shepherd, to hear his voice, and to respond to the changes that he asks of me, and to catch myself when I drift from the path or his side. And the shepherd's staff means limit and direction. A wise man once told me that a child testing the boundaries and the rules is like me double-checking that I lock the front door or set the alarm. It's not really just to test my patience, like I was feeling, but checking to see that I'm still secure and protected. Now, I have to admit, I didn't appreciate that as much as a parent as I do as a grandparent. But as a grandparent, I can see how God is more patient with us than I am. I just wish I could finally just trust that I am safe in his presence forever and always with no need to test the limits. I'm getting better, but like the sheep that found the hole in the fence, I've done my share of looking to see if the hole is still there. In Job 34 and 21, his eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. There is no dark place no deep shadows where evildoers can hide. And Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Another scenario that not following the shepherd will lead to demise occurs with following the Judas goat at the livestock cell barn. The Judas goat is a trained goat named after Judas Iscariot because he literally betrays the livestock that, he's, that are following him while he is spared. Sheep and lambs at the cell barn are un, in unfamiliar surroundings, and they are afraid to go through open gates, especially with the noise at the auction. So the goat has been trained to associate with the sheep and other livestock to bring them into the auction arena of the cell barn to be viewed by those looking to either purchase lambs for slaughter or to go to country. If they go to country, they get to be in a new flock. In Matthew 10, 16, and 17, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. Everyone needs love and acceptance. That's why Satan's companionship is so seductive. It looks genuine, and it feels good. We need God's wisdom and his discernment 
to know the wolf in sheep's clothing from the other sheep to avoid the betrayal of Judas. Otherwise, we are like sheep without a shepherd. The Judas goat will lead them into and out of the auction arena. It will lead them into pens in the stockyard, lead them onto trucks, and actually lead them into the slaughter. The lambs and the sheep never question who's leading them or where. They simply follow. Sometimes I wonder if they realize at the slaughterhouse that the Judas goat they thought befriended them turned out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Who are you following? In Matthew 7, 15, and 16, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. And in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. <clears throat> we must wake up and keep watch. Lock horns with Satan. Stand firm and fight like your life depends on it. Because it does. Thankfully, you're not fighting alone. God is there with you, going before you and leading. Follow his lead. And then we have one more table talk with the remaining questions on the back of your listening guide. And the lesson is yours. Thank you.